On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I bring you up to date on the past five weeks of my life. I tell you about how I accidentally set the news agenda in the UK for an entire day with an 11 second video, and I explain why I'm trying the 75 hard challenge. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 53 of Life and Lessons. I'll be honest, I don't have an intro yet. I don't know what to say now that we're not on episodes 1 through 52. So for now, all I'm going to say is that we're back and it is good to be back. Um, an interesting thing happened just before I hit record, which is that for the first time in about a year, the process of sitting in front of a microphone, sitting in front of this microphone and speaking felt awkward. This is a feeling that I had on like episode one and episode two where sitting in a room with a microphone in front of me and having to just talk at it, talk to myself almost felt awkward. But then doing that every day or rather every week on a set day for 52 weeks very quickly made it feel entirely normal. Like I would record these episodes without thinking about it. It felt like the most natural thing in the world. And so I just thought it was interesting that after such a short break, I think the last time I recorded an episode like this was about five weeks ago. After such a short break, that awkwardness has crept back in. And I'll be honest, this isn't something I plan to talk about. Like this is just me thinking out loud right now, but it's quite interesting that that's the case because I think the same can be found in almost any area of life whereby, and I speak about momentum all of the time, you know this already, but having momentum and having habits and having a routine when it comes to anything that you want to do consistently is the most important thing, right? We both know that, but more interestingly, what happens the second you lose that momentum is it becomes far harder to start again, right? Think about the last time you were... I don't know, go into the gym. If you know that you go to the gym four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, say, um, every single week without thinking about it, you do it on a fixed day at a fixed time and you go there and you work out a fixed thing, that very quickly bakes itself into your day and it becomes something that you don't need to think about. The momentum carries you through that. Now think about a time when you have stopped going to the gym, maybe over Christmas, and you need to find the... Uh, the energy to get back into that habit. That first session back, getting yourself out of the house, getting yourself changed into some sort of gym clothing, uh, making sure that you get there, uh, and actually just the, the exercise itself is all so much harder than it would otherwise have been if you didn't stop. Same with healthy eating, the same with uh, productivity, the same with a good sleep pattern, the same with drinking enough water, the same with reading books, the same with literally anything. Momentum is literally the most important thing, at least for me, when it comes to getting things done, when it comes to actually hitting my goals. Um, and like I say, this this wasn't planned. I just thought it was interesting to point out that that feeling of effort which is required to start something once you have stopped massively outweighs the effort required to just carry on doing something. And so that's something, this feeling I have right now is something that I'm going to be reminding myself of this year as we try and stick to all of these new things that we all have planned because you know how it goes 
we all have energy, we all have ambition in January. It's a new year, 2020 is finally behind us and we can start focusing on new things and those new things are exciting and that excitement gives us momentum. But very quickly that momentum runs out. And I spoke about this in an email recently actually that you don't want motivation to carry you through your 2021 goals. You want systems because motivation is fickle. It comes and goes and for the most part it's not there, right? People more often feel like doing nothing than they do feel like doing a thing which is very difficult that's just human nature it's the path of least resistance but at least in my experience it's far easier to continue with something than it is to start again and I'm feeling that right now and so next time I'm thinking of I don't know quitting on fitness or uh, quitting on eating healthy or quitting on anything that I have an ambition to do this year I think it's important for me to remember the feeling I had just before I hit record on this because something that was the easiest thing in the world when stopped for five weeks, which let's be honest, isn't a long period of time, suddenly felt challenging. And so there's a lesson that I take from that. It's just to carry on doing what you're doing, even if it's uncomfortable. It's far more comfortable to carry on than it is to stop and then start again. But anyway, that was an enormous tangent and something I didn't plan to say. Uh, Let me get back on track. So those five weeks I spoke about, the five weeks since we last spoke, they've been really eventful. They could have been more eventful, I'll be honest, because I've spent 20 days in the last five weeks essentially trapped indoors because of uh, two separate NHS track and trace exposure notifications through the app. Uh, The first one was fairly sure it was caused in a restaurant in Cardiff. So went out for food, um, sat in fairness, very far away from anybody else. Like this restaurant had their shit together when it came to social distancing, when it came to processes, like the closest table to us in my estimation was probably like three meters away. And yet the, the overly enthusiastic NHS app picked up the Bluetooth signal of somebody else in there at some point. And so a few days later, I was told to stay at home for 10 days and so that's what I did Uh, sitting at home trying to be productive because at that point it was still a working week right it was it was before everybody stopped working for Christmas and New Year and all of that it was just like a normal Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday and so on that was really challenging to stay productive but I think what was the the biggest challenge of that first 10 day self-isolation period was that my 25th birthday was in the middle of it And look, I don't need to tell you that absolutely nobody has had the birthday that they expected to have in the last year or so, right? Anybody who's happened to change age since February, which is basically everybody, has had a really fucking weird birthday. But even with that said, the the last place I expected to be as I turned 25 was sat on my laptop in a bedroom on my own. It was just... um. To be fair, I like my own company, which is fortunate, but it was just, yeah, it was a little reflection point of uh, almost a summary of last year, almost a summary of how things go where, you know, the the peaks and troughs of this coronavirus thing and the nature of the way it changes and spreads and measures have to be added and taken away is that you can almost never predict how any particular milestone is going to be spent right now. But that was, yeah, that was an interesting way to turn 25 certainly not what I had planned but anyway that finished went back to the office for a few days and um, all of the refurbishment work that we spoke about is done which is 
very, very exciting. The office looks incredible right now. I'll be honest, I haven't been there in a few weeks, so it's it's hard to remember exactly what it looks like because I've only seen it for like two days between it being finished and me leaving Wales. But it's looking really, really good. Like the the stuff that we've had built in for storage makes the, the entire space feel just twice the size. We've gained so much space. We've got a bunch of new stand-up desks in there. Just, it's a really nice space now. So I'm excited to go there and work very soon. Um, and then, yeah, I left Wales and I went to Corby for like eight hours, literally drove from Wales to Corby, went to bed, woke up and then jumped on a train from Corby to London because in London for two days, a few weekends ago, I recorded four conversations that you're going to be hearing very soon. They will be the first four guest episodes of the podcast with four very interesting people. So there is Billy Harris, Tom Harwood, Andrew Tyndall and Ryan Merton. You're going to learn a lot more about those four in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, all I have to say about it is that I expected these conversations to be good. Like I've said before, you know, I I pick people I want to speak to on this podcast based on how interesting of a story and how interesting of a set of perspectives I think that each person has, right? So I expected these conversations to be good, but, and I think you'll be able to sense this when you listen to them in a few weeks' time, they are far better than I thought they'd be. Like, they were really, really good really interesting and in some senses really practical conversations conversations where i have since listened back to them and pulled out ideas pulled out habits pulled out things to try based on what these people have suggested so i'm really really excited to uh, to get those published the first one goes live this time next week on the 8th of january and that's going to be with billy harris um and then yeah we'll go from there but i'm just yeah i'm excited to get those out so then this is a funny story. On the way back from London on that Saturday evening, I had just um, I just podcasted with Tom Harwood, who is the senior reporter at Guido Forks. And so he's very plugged into political news. He's very plugged into what was happening in the tiering system on that particular Saturday. And by the time he arrived in the studio to record the podcast, there were already murmurs on Twitter not least because he essentially broke the news onto my timeline, but there were murmurs on Twitter that London was about to be moved into tier four. At the time of uh, us having those conversations, recording those podcasts on that Saturday, it was in tier three. Tier four didn't actually exist as far as I was aware. Um, And then, yeah, the, the podcasts were recorded. Boris made his announcement. London was to move into tier four at midnight that night. And so I wrapped things up, I packed up everything from the studio, and then I set off back to St Pancras, where I was going to just jump on the train, uh, get back into the car, drive home and sleep. And that is almost the exact opposite of what ended up happening, all because of an 11 second video. And I'm willing to bet it's a video you've seen. Even if you don't follow me on social media, this video was everywhere. And I think that this is an interesting story. There's no moral to it. I just fuck it. I want to tell you the story. It's interesting. So I got to St Pancras, uh, got out of my Uber, walked up the escalators up to the top platforms. If you know St Pancras, where the East Midlands trains go from. And downstairs in the station was fairly empty. Like there were a few people around, sure, but it was probably like half as busy 
as I'm used to seeing it in non-coronavirus times because I haven't been to London a lot this year. So I'm used to seeing St Pancras fairly busy, like it's one of the top 10 commuter stations in London. It's fairly busy around the clock. It was it was quite empty that evening on the lower level. And so when I happened to walk up the escalators and was greeted by literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people crammed into the kind of platform area before the ticket gates with I wouldn't even say no social distancing like the distance between them wasn't in meters it was like minus like they were on top of each other it was crazy how close these people were and they were just streaming from all directions they were just the the, the crowds were growing and growing and growing but because I had been sat in a podcast studio all day although I knew that tier four was a thing I couldn't quite get my head around why this was a thing, right? As in, we've all for the last year lived by the rules of social distancing. And so somebody walking past you in a street a bit too close feels weird. So you can imagine how weird it felt to walk up those stairs and see uh, the station, the busiest I've ever seen it in the probably 400 plus times I've passed through that station in my life. So what I did is I pulled out my phone, I opened Instagram, and I just recorded a quick story to put on Instagram, to be clear, of um, the crowds. And the caption was like, St. Pancras right now, fuck me, or something. Because, you know, just showing people on Instagram, very busy, what's going on? And then it wasn't until I sat down on the train and started reading the news that I realised the almost the significance of what was going on in London at that moment, right? What was happening is that, as we all now know, Boris... Chris Whitty, whoever else was at that press conference, had had essentially said that London will go into tier four at midnight. That means that you must stay at home. If you're thinking of traveling out of the city for Christmas to be with relatives to travel elsewhere, don't do that. Of course, on the Saturday before it was tier four, that was only advisory. But essentially, that press conference plus people's instincts to be together at Christmas had caused people from London to pour out of the city in all directions and so what I did I thought okay I kind of understand the newsworthiness of the video now so I almost played the game by tweeting the 11 second video with a little funny caption uh click tweet thought nothing of it and then by the time we got to Luton from London which is like a 20 minute station to station journey is the first stop on that line the tweet was on like 300 retweets and I'm like okay I can see where this is going like this is this is gonna get some attention so I did one of those sorry I I tweeted saying something like oh I'm about to get those hiya can we use your video with credit please tweets and uh that almost acted as bait for journalists to start picking it up so uh the Andrew Marshall got in touch fairly early on I think Sky News asked to use it uh, Chris Ship, is it? ITV News' royal correspondent tweeted, asked some questions, asked if they can use it on the news that evening. Um, and then a bunch of newspapers started asking to use it, at which point somebody said to me in DMs, stop giving the video away for free, like these papers are explicitly going to monetize this video in as much as they're going to put it on a website page with 11 ads around it and a pre-roll ad before it, so they are willing to pay for it if only you ask. So I thought, okay fuck it i'll start asking for payment which is what i did um but the the saturday night 
when I got home, although I was talking to a couple of journalists, news outlets, uh, in DMs until about 1am, was reasonably uneventful. Like, at that point, it was just a big tweet. It was only when two separate things happened that I thought, oh shit, like, what has this 11 second video caused? The first was somebody sent me a link to the Daily Mail website, and Mail Online, I believe I'm right in saying, is the most read news website in the UK. It may be second to BBC News, I don't know, but I know that as far as newspapers go, it is, like, wildly popular relative to any other site, period. So Mail Online had taken this video, turned it into a GIF, and used it as the lead image on the lead story on their homepage, where it remained for 15 hours, which no doubt is seen by millions of people. So I'm like, okay, that's... That's an indication of the uh, the particular news cycle that this video has started. And then the second one, the most surreal one, I didn't see until about midday the next day. So on the Sunday, which was that somebody made me aware that uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, was shown the video by both Andrew Marr uh, on BBC One and Sophie Ridge on Sky News. So the actual health secretary was asked to respond to this shaky little 11 second video that I'd happened to record like 14 hours earlier on my phone and then yeah it just went crazy it almost came in two waves the first wave was the UK news outlets all of the newspapers picked it up some of them paid some of them had to uh, be asked to pay after using it without permission Uh, and then the second wave was all of the US TV networks so um, yeah well they, they all got in touch. They all asked to license it. And yeah, it was just crazy. Like, it was... In one sense, it was really interesting. It was interesting to see uh, what it's like on the other side of those viral tweets that we all see. What it's like to be approached by the journalist. What it's like to have conversations with them and see the video or the picture or whatever it is you've taken be used. But to be honest, in that sense, it was kind of underwhelming in as much as it's nothing more than just a funny story isn't it it's a story that i've just told you it's a story that i'm sure i'll tell other people at some point it's just an interesting story but then the second thing and um jamal edwards of sbtv messaged me about the video and i said this to him because if there's anybody who knows about uh, trying to grow a following online it's jamal who's been at it for like 10 plus years now i said that in a way the the reach that that 11 second video had got was like, I don't want to say disheartening because that's not the right word, but confusing, if that's the right word. Like we all spend, anybody who puts out content online, anybody who's trying to do something online spends hours and hours and hours, right? I spent countless hours last year recording 52 episodes of this podcast And the total download numbers was fewer than 10,000. That video, that 11 second video, probably reached more than 10,000 people in the first like 11 minutes of it being live. And since went on to reach uh, about five and a half million people on Twitter. Countless millions of people on all of the meme pages that stole it. Uh, many millions of people across all of the US national news networks and the newspapers and the Andrew Marshall and Sky News and ITV News. And I basically just said to to Jamal, half tongue in cheek, but half serious, like the internet is a crazy place because you never know what thing it is that you're going to put out there that will gain traction. And of course, in the example of an 11 second video, I could not care less who sees it. Like, 
okay, it made me a bit of money, okay, it was an interesting story, but I have no emotional attachment to that video, period, right? But in a sense, it's also kind of encouraging because it shows me and it should show anybody that you and I don't get to decide what piece of content it is that grows wings and flies, right? That's up to every other person on the internet. It's up to every other person on the internet to make a value judgment of the things that they see and then decide whether they enjoyed it, decide whether they want to share it, decide whether they want to put it into a group chat, all of these things. And that almost, if, if, if I had to take a positive lesson from the weird St. Pancras video story, it is that you never know what's going to take off. And hopefully next time something of mine takes off, it's something thoughtful from this podcast or a conversation I've had with somebody and it's something worthwhile rather than some destabilizing meme that gets picked up by all sorts of weird Russian news outlets. But yeah, it was just interesting. I thought that was an interesting story. That's certainly been the the highlight of the last uh, five weeks. And then soon after that, because on the 18th, I had according to the NHS app, brushed past somebody who also has coronavirus at some point, I then had to self-isolate again for another 10 days. So I spent the whole of Christmas, right the way up until a couple of days ago, back at home in the house, not leaving the house, just stuck in. And that means that I've had a lot of time to do planning and I've had a lot of time to think about the year that we've just ended and the year that we've just began and all of these things that you know this time of year is naturally a reflective period for everybody anyway but I think more so than ever right now we've all had a reason to look back because 2020 was a weird year right we all know that but I think that too often we got caught up in the bigger picture Too often we got caught up in looking at the graphs of new cases of coronavirus, of hospitalizations, of deaths. We got caught up in the big economic policies or the mini scandals that brewed every now and then when something went wrong. Or we got caught up in listening to mass opinion of what's gone right and what's gone wrong in 2020 from a government point of view. And in a sense, I think that's distracted from giving us the space and the time to reflect on our own lives in 2020 because make no mistake coronavirus has robbed each of us as individuals of so much like if you were to just pause this podcast right now and take five minutes to think about the goals that you had for last year and the plans that you had made for last year and the people you wanted to see and the things you wanted to do almost all of it will have been taken away by this virus, right? And it's the same for everybody. None of us can play the victim in that sense because we're all in the same boat. But it struck me the other day as I was reflecting on this year that I certainly hadn't taken the time to pause and think about my personal views on the year because I had been too caught up in the bigger picture. I had been too caught up in the the fear of tier four and the fear of growing cases and all of these other things that yes they impact me but nowhere near as much as the the smaller the personal things impact all of us during this and so yeah it was just it was an interesting reflection 
and it was aided in part by a really interesting um, annual review worksheet which I found by a guy called Chris Sparks and um, this is a process that if you haven't done it because I know I emailed about it um, if you're on the mailing list and a few people have signed up and done it if you haven't done it I encourage you to do so if you just google Chris Sparks annual review even if you're listening to this on like the 7th of January I think that it is far better to have a plan for the year a few days late than have no plan whatsoever for the next 360 days so this process essentially breaks it down into three areas firstly it asks you very interesting questions which force you to look back on what went right last year the things that went well the successes the things that surprised you the progress you made and it asks you to do that in a professional sense uh, in a relationship sense so friends family that kind of stuff and in a health sense and then there's a blank box where you can answer those questions for something else something else that means a lot to you so in in my case i looked at personal development so you spend a few hours literally a few hours it's a very long and drawn out process but it's worth it looking back at the successes which is all well and good and it allows you to spot some trends in things that are good for you and then you do almost the exact opposite which is you spend a couple of hours looking back at i wouldn't say failures but the things that you could have done better last year in those four areas so professionally with relationships, with your health, and with something else that means a lot to you. And in pointing out those failures, in identifying those shortcomings, you're also asked by the worksheet to try and spot trends in why those things went wrong. Was it because you were too scared to say how you feel to somebody? Was it because you uh, lacked discipline when it comes to getting work done? right these these the questions it actually asks are really open-ended it doesn't put words into your mouth like i just did but the point is it really makes you think about the year from like a bird's eye view uh, and focusing with clarity to find the things that went wrong and also the lessons that you can learn from that and then with all of that learned with all of that time spent reflecting on what went well what went not so well and what lessons you can take from that the worksheet asks you to make four north star goals for the year one for professional things one for relationships one for health and one for whatever that other four thing it is and then it asks you to break down how you're going to measure those north star goals how you're going to make sure that you're working towards hitting them what kind of person you need to be to hit them all of this stuff that as i'm explaining this i'm thinking probably sounds quite woolly probably sounds like oh i don't need to do that sure and i know that i want to do x y and z this year and i'm definitely going to do it but look I don't know you as well as you know yourself so maybe you will but statistically you will not because statistically something like 93% of people fail their new year's resolutions within the first few weeks and even anecdotally look at previous years look at all of the goals that we've set ourselves over the years how many of them did we stick to probably not many and I think that this year of any year should be the time that we really pick good goals that's the first thing not just these arbitrary oh i want to lose some weight or i want to save some money like really specific really meaningful goals that attach to who you want to be as a person and what you want to do in life on a bigger picture because like i just hinted at i feel like we can both agree that 2020 stole a lot from us in a way we're a year behind and so if ever there was a time for us to make good use of our time it's this year so yeah go check that out if you fancy it just google 
uh, I don't know, Chris Sparks annual review and it'll probably come up. If it doesn't, drop me a message and I'll send you a link. I really, really recommend doing it. And then the other thing I want to tell you about is kind of a <laughs> an accidental challenge I've set myself. I say accidental because much in the same way as when I stopped drinking, which by the way, completely forgot was three years ago today. So there we go, three years haven't drank. But much in the same way as when I stopped drinking, it was this thing that I just kind of decided upon on a whim and stuck with. Uh, yesterday night, having seen a few people do it in the past, some achieve it, some fail, I decided that I'm going to try the 75 hard challenge. And 75 hard, if you don't know, is a challenge where you need to do five specific things every single day for 75 days. And if you fail of any of the five things on any of the days, you go back to day one. So there is this this ingrained sense that you look at what you've already invested and you keep going. And it hopefully pushes you through. Hopefully will push me through. So the five rules are these. Number one, you need to follow a specific diet. And that rule is really loose. You get to pick what diet you stick to. So it's not like a a diet plan. You get to pick the diet. You get to set the rules around that. But the idea is that whatever diet you pick, you need to stick to it. So in my case, I'm just going to be tracking macros. I know the carbs, fats, proteins I should be consuming. I know how many calories I should be consuming. I just never fucking do it because it's effort, right? So I'm going to be following that diet and making sure that I track the food I eat and that the food that I eat comes somewhere within, let's say, like a 10% below or above of the macros. Number two is that you need to work out twice per day. Each workout is at least 45 minutes long, and one of the two workouts must be outdoors. And again, this rule is very loose, in as much as there is no stipulation of what the workouts need to be. The only stipulation is that you do two per day, They last a minimum duration and that one of them is outdoors, even if it's cold and even if it's wet and even if you can't be bothered. Number three is that you need to drink four litres of water per day. Now, I did some research into this and as far as I can tell, there is no uh, health benefit to drinking over twice of the RDA of water. So actually, I'm just going to be swapping that for two litres per day, which is my usual target, but something that I don't always hit. The fourth rule is that you need to read at least 10 pages of non-fiction per day. Again, that is usually an ambition of mine, but something that I don't normally stick to. And the fifth is that you need to take a progress photo every day. Now, you can probably tell from the way I explained that, that actually this isn't anything to do with diet. And it's also nothing to do with working out. This isn't a fitness program. This isn't a health program. This is a challenge based around the idea of mental toughness. The next few months are going to be hard. It's going to be dark. It's going to be cold. We're all going to be stuck at home. We're not going to be seeing our friends. We have almost no social plans. We have no end date in place for when these restrictions are going to be lifted. And we're going to have very little to look forward to. And so with all of that in mind, knowing that I, to go back to what I spoke about at the beginning of this episode, knowing that I do better with structure and with momentum and with something to aim to, even though I don't really want to follow a specific diet for 75 days, even though I certainly do not want to go out when it's minus three degrees in the morning for a walk or a run, and then in the middle of my day, do some sort of at-home workout because the gyms are closed. 
even though some nights I'm going to feel absolutely knackered and the last thing I want to do is pick up some non-fiction book. I mean, the, the one I'm reading right now is about evolutionary psychology and it is the least fun thing you've ever read. I won't want to do these things. And that is the exact reason why I'm going to, because I think mental toughness and the ability to lean into discomfort and the ability to push past um, our natural tendencies to not want to do things is what holds all of us back in every area of life, period. Like, we are our own worst enemies when it comes to achieving our goals. If you... I mean, fuck an example. If you want to do anything, people around you aren't the biggest obstacle. It's likely that your financial situation isn't the biggest obstacle. Your current ability isn't the biggest obstacle. Generally speaking, and in my experience, the biggest obstacle to you doing anything is you getting started and then you being consistent, you following through with what you say you're going to do. And this is something that I've been big on for a couple of years now, right? I always say that the way to get a competitive advantage in life is just to do what you say you're going to do. And sometimes that's easy because sometimes we set ourselves easy challenges, but I think it becomes far more interesting when you do what you're saying you're going to do with a with a difficult, with an uncomfortable challenge. And that's exactly what 75 Hard is. Um, I feel like in like 2018, 2019, uh, I had something which I lost last year and that was like a real drive for self-improvement, for doing things that will better me for the sake of it. And there are many reasons that I could go into as to why I think I may have lost that drive last year. But the point is this, it's drive that I want back. I've seen the progress pictures I was taking when I was going to the gym in 2019 and I'm like, shit, that's really good. And then I look at the mirror and I'm like, oh, I lost it all. I see the number of books I read in 2018 and 2019 and how much that taught me and how much I progressed as a person and how that changed our ability as a business. And then I look at what I didn't read in 2020 and I think I want to be back there. So that's it. That is the, the the next 75 days of my life until I believe the 16th of March is not only going to be doubling down on business and doubling down on all of these things that I uh, highlighted in the annual review that I've just spoken about. But on top of all of that, to make it even more complicated, I'm going to be trying 75 hard because I think if ever there was a year to push ourselves, like I say, it's definitely this year. And what better way to start a year than with intentional discomfort to build mental toughness to change behaviors to become the kind of person who does what they say they're going to do so that's my aim i'll let you know how i get on um (laughs) i feel like this is going to be an interesting one there will be weeks where it's easy there will be weeks where it is the hardest thing in the world to drag myself out of bed when it's still dark outside to go for a run or to go for a walk and i think that I'm going to teach myself a lot of lessons in this process or rather this process is going to teach me a lot of lessons and it's free right so why not the only thing I would say is if you're thinking of doing this definitely read up on it in some level of detail first because I am in no way qualified to endorse something which requires you to stick to a diet nor something which requires you to work out 150 times in the space of two and a half months or drink far more water than is recommended does that make sense like i'm not 
endorsing that anybody does this challenge alongside me um but if you're thinking of doing it definitely definitely do your own research definitely read up on it think about uh, your abilities your interests your drives and just really think about it before you do it because i have read some i wouldn't say horror stories online but a challenge like this certainly isn't for everybody and it's also not for anybody at any given time if that makes sense like i think you have to be in a certain frame of mind before you say fuck it and actually take the plunge on this one so yeah just because i'm talking about it it doesn't mean i endorse it but nonetheless i'll let you know how i get on and i think that's it really uh the last thing to say is that um next week's episode will be the first of the conversations so the the other format of episode if you missed the last few episodes last year you won't have heard me speak about this fact that these kind of episodes these monologues where i just sit and speak to you for half an hour or whatever these are going to be less frequent so these are going to happen once every two weeks and uh, inside of these episodes here although today's been a terrible example because i've just kind of updated you on my life uh, i want to pull out some more tangible lessons from each two-week period to bring to you and to share with you uh, so hopefully these episodes are going to be getting a lot more valuable from uh, well, from now onwards but then every other week i'm going to be publishing a conversation and like i said earlier the first four of those conversations are recorded i've listened back to them all they are fucking incredible and the bar gets set incredibly high next week when we begin with Billy Harris. Uh, Billy is the founder of the Peak Performance Program and it's his job to help six, seven and eight figure entrepreneurs optimize their their body, their mind, their sleep, their productivity, all of these things that make an enormous difference to people's lives essentially, right? And that conversation is super interesting for so many reasons um, and he gives some really, really good, really tangible uh, advice and tips and ideas that all of us myself included can take away from next week's episode and implement into our lives to be happier to be healthier and to be way more productive in 2021 so yeah make sure that you check that one out but in the meantime i am gonna go and celebrate new year's eve i don't know what i'm doing probably just sitting downstairs with my mum but hey that's adult life right lockdown life uh, but yeah, all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening. It's good to be back. It really is. I'm back in the flow now. This doesn't feel awkward anymore like it did at the very beginning of this episode. And I'm pleased that this once again feels normal. I uh, hope you had a good Christmas. Hope you had a good New Year's and all that stuff. It's been weird. I know that. But yeah, hopefully you managed to make of it uh, some sort of good period even if you just slept more or read more or watched more TV or something or just disconnected from the rat race of work that we've all been in for the past 51 weeks. And yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you're not already, make sure that you're subscribed on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening right now because I'm, I'm bringing the fire this year. Like, I've never been more motivated to make this podcast uh, like super valuable. And it's something that behind the scenes I've been spending a lot of time focusing on to make sure that future episodes like this and future conversations are something that you can press play on and have the guarantee that you're going to learn something every single time. So make sure that you're subscribed. There's a lot coming this year. And yeah, that is it. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 54 of Life and Lessons. See you then.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.